This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. We got a great guest today, man. I, I learned about this guy through YouTube, uh, and then we were able to connect through, uh, I think, your assistant or, or whatever. I don't even remember the circuitous route. It took a couple of times to get you here, but we finally did. His name is Dre Baldwin. He yeah. goes by Dre all day. He helps thousands of people master the game from inside out, and we're going to touch on that. But he's a former professional basketball player, a YouTuber, a branding expert, a coach, an author, a TEDx speaker. You should go check out that TEDx talk. Uh, an amazing guy all around, man. Just a pleasure to have you, Andre. So glad to have you. I'm excited to be here, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. Me too. And we talked about it. You got the short sleeves of Miami. I'm all bundled up here in Michigan. So you're a smarter man than me. <laughs> so give us. <laughs> oh, we got uh, airplanes. You can yeah, that's here. true. That's true. I got to get down south. So give us some yeah. uh, some background on you. What uh, what's your beginnings? And give us your story on the journey to this basketball career and everything else. Sure. I'll give you the, the three minute version. So I, I come from the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, now in Miami, Florida, as you said, uh, always played sports growing up, Jamie. So played all the backyard sports. Now where I come from, we didn't even have a backyard. We had a driveway. So that instead of grass, it was concrete. So we played uh kickball, touch football. You know, somebody had one of those basketball courts, the portable ones with the sand in the bottom. They pulled them out the garage. We played basketball. Uh, eventually, Went to team sports, probably around nine or 10 years old, played a little bit of football, but I never actually acquired the equipment. So I never really played football. Then I went to baseball and I played that for a couple of years, but I didn't really have talent for baseball. So I finally realized that and stopped playing. And at age 14, I finally stumbled into basketball, which is a pretty late age if you're trying to go somewhere in basketball. You're talking college, let alone the pros. But that's what I did. And uh, with basketball, everybody in my neighborhood played it. So at high school, I tried out for the team. We didn't have a JV team. We did not have a freshman team. We just had one team. So you make that one or you don't play. So I didn't make my high school team until I was a senior. My last try got cut the other three years. And that one year that I was on the team, I pretty much sat the bench. I averaged two points per game. Anybody who knows basketball knows the two points is not a lot. So people who don't understand basketball, that's not too great. Two points. Now, if you, I always tell people, Jamie, if you play soccer or hockey, two points is a lot. But in basketball, that's not much. So uh, in basketball, nobody would have predicted I was going anywhere in basketball with that kind of background. But when I went to college, which I knew I was going to go anyway, even outside of sports, I had to walk on. And walking on means you're not invited. Nobody knows you. You literally walk into the gym and you try to earn your way onto the team just with your performance. Nobody knows your name. I did make my team in college and I played in college, but I was at the Division Three level, which is a level that is does not produce pros. Most of the pro athletes you see in you know, the four major sports come from the Div Division One level. So I was coming to Division Three. So when I got out of college, I still had this pipe dream of becoming a pro athlete, but I had no prospects for making it happen. So I had to my first year out of college. Actually, I worked a couple of no quote unquote regular gigs. I worked at Foot Locker as a manager. I worked at a gym called Bally Total Fitness, selling memberships. And then I went to an event called an exposure camp, which is kind of like a job fair, but it's for athletes. And you pay money to go to this event. This is not an open free thing. You pay for the opportunity to possibly get seen by somebody who might be able to help you move forward in your career or what you want to be a career. At that point, I didn't have a career. So I went to this exposure camp, 
played pretty well there. It was a two-day event, played pretty well at that camp. And through that, I leveraged my performance there to sign with an agent. And an agent is basically like, they do the same thing in sports they do in the literary world or the acting world. So I signed with an agent. That agent, they had the connections that I needed. They got me my first contract, and that was in Kaunas, Lithuania in 2005, to give everybody a timeline here. Now, timeline matters because the footage from that exposure camp, at this exact same time, I took that footage and I uploaded it to this brand new website called YouTube. Now, this is, again, 2005. So YouTube was just becoming a thing. And it it was not a, no business from YouTube at that time. You couldn't make money YouTubing back then. But I just put the video out for myself. But a lot of basketball players started finding it, Jamie, because they just wanted to learn how to play basketball. And here's this random guy who nobody ever heard of who's showing people how to practice basketball. That was me. So word of mouth, that's really how I my name started to get known on the Internet, just through basketball players telling each other, like, hey, you want to learn how to do the crossover dribble or how to jump higher, how, how to shoot a jump shot? Look up this random guy named Dre Baldwin. And they're like, Dre who? But they were looking me up and, you know, they were learning basketball for me. So what I realized about a year or two into that, Jamie, is that there's this underserved audience of people who want to learn the sport, but they don't have anyone to teach them. So they were basically me, but 10 years younger. So by around 2008, I started being a little bit more focused on putting the videos on YouTube. But at this time, I'm still playing overseas. And you know, fast forwarding in this story around 2009, 2010, found myself uh, out of a job overseas. I was a free agent. I played in a few places. But I was a free agent and I just wanted some more control over my life and my career. So I asked myself a really important question. How can I get more control over how I'm doing things and how I make money? Now, at this point, you could actually make some ad revenue from YouTube videos and I had just read Tim Ferriss's first book, Four Hour Work Week, and he had a little experiment in there about how you can test the viability of a product and start selling your own stuff. So I started making $4.99 basketball training programs. And that's how I became an entrepreneur. That was in 2009. And when I sold my first product, Jamie, that's when I said to myself, this is what I need to be doing. I know I won't be able to dunk on people forever, but I can use my brain forever, that intellectual property. As I didn't know it was called that then, but that's what we know it as now. So that's where I kind of started my entrepreneurial thing. But I kept playing ball. And at the same time, another thing happened in the same time frame. And I'll make this quick. I started talking about mindset. Okay, I started talking about mindset because a lot of athletes would they would respond to me in the comments. And I've always been a person who will read my comments and respond. And they would ask me about my background. And I would just tell them basically what I just told you of how I you know, barely played in high school, walked on in college, but made my way into pro basketball, just basically hustling my way in. So the, a lot of the players, they were obviously learning the skill stuff from me, how to dribble, shoot, and pass, but they wanted to learn the mindset. Like, what is the mentality of a person who would keep trying despite the fact that you got cut from your high school team all those times? Nobody was really telling you you're going to make it. Nobody was encouraging me to keep trying. And mind you, there was no YouTube video that I could look up for motivation and inspiration when I was down in the 1990s. Like that was that wasn't until later. So these players just wanted to know my mentality. So every Monday, Jamie, I started making this video called the weekly motivation on YouTube. And it would just be a two to four minute little selfie video way before selfie videos are cool. This is before we even had the, the video cameras on the phone. So I'm using an actual camera selfie, selfieing myself. And yeah, yeah. that became those videos. I did that weekly motivation for 400 Mondays in a row. And those videos became the foundation for what is now work on your game, which is the philosophy about taking the mental tools that you learn in sports and applying them at work and in everyday life. So when I started making those videos, how that became the foundation is that a bunch of people who didn't even play ball 
started finding my videos and they would watch me on YouTube. They would even say to me, like, Dre, I'm subscribed to you on YouTube. I watch that video every Monday. They weren't watching everything I put out the rest of the week because it was just basketball stuff. But they watched that video every Monday. So this planted a seed in my mind, Jamie, that this philosophy and this stuff that I was talking about, that was I was targeting it towards the athletes, but discipline, confidence, mental toughness, initiative, because everybody needs that. Everybody needs it and people need to understand it and need it explained it to them in a way that they can use it. And people were telling me, like, Dre, the way you break this down, even though I'm not a basketball player, I can still learn from it. So that planted the seed in my mind, along with my little you know, entrepreneurial venture of selling my $4.99 programs, Jamie. I knew what I was going to be doing when that ball stopped bouncing. So in 2015, when I stopped playing ball, I was already I already had momentum. I already knew exactly what I was going to do, who I was going to serve. Not exactly. I had an idea who I was going to serve, how I was going to do it. And that's what I've been doing full time ever since. So here we are. Uh, my company's called Work On Your Game, if you couldn't guess. And that's what I do. I love it, man. Amazing story. It, it unlocks a few questions for me. I want to start with this just to kind of level set. So you played overseas. I know you played in multiple locations over there. You've got this like yeah. map up of all the places <laughs> there. But you played stateside as well. Give me an idea, like for basketball fans, like what level at like, were you playing? Was it like Euro League? Were you playing in G League or D League or whatever it is here? Like, where did you play? What what levels did you play at? Man, so I started playing overseas. So I didn't play in any of the leagues that you just said. No, no, no. So <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I got it. I did not play in the Euro League. So the NBA is the best league in the world. Sure, Everybody sure. knows that. The Euro League is like the second best league. So the Euro League is not. The Euro League is like the best teams from different countries in Europe, and they all come together and play a few times a year. That's only like 20 to, I think it's 24 teams. It might be more now. Yeah. So I didn't play in any on any Euro League teams, even though I tried. I didn't play in the NBA teams, but I tried. I didn't play in the G League, but I tried. So I did not get onto, and none of those teams ever signed me. So all of the teams that I played for were just in that country of Europe. So when I was in Lithuania, that team only played against teams in Lithuania and Germany, only in Germany and Slovakia, only Slovakia. So each country, it was just that country. And um, in the United States, I did play on a traveling team. They were like a, uh, you ever heard of Harlem Globetrotters? Oh, sure, sure, yeah. Okay. So the team I played for was like the Harlem Globetrotters, but it was like the Walmart version, like the Costco version of the Harlem Globetrotters. So we traveled around the 15 passenger van, the players, we took turns driving the van all across. And I went to states that I never would have went to had it not been for that team. We're talking to Dakotas, Wyoming, you know, all kinds of crazy places all over Texas, Colorado, New Mexico. So that was a kind of that was one of those transition jobs. That's what we call it in the basketball world. Do you love it, though? <laughs> was it fun? Well, it was better than the alternative, which what I would have been working the overnight stocking shelves at a supermarket. It was actually literally what I was doing before I got that job. So, yes, yeah. I did love it. No, I, I yeah, I, I just yeah, just to give the audience perspective on on what you did because you carved out a nine year career playing basketball. I mean, you made a living playing basketball for yeah. a decade almost, which is that's amazing. Right. That's an incredible lifestyle, and I love along the way how you built influence and you coached people and you drove it, like the TEDx talk, all of that stuff. You built a mindset mm -hmm. platform along with it. When you worked with right. athletes, because I, I I think I heard you tell a story at one point about uh, maybe a like a rookie of the year or a number one pick or something like that coming to you and saying. Hey, I know you. I watched your video. So you you've worked yeah. directly and indirectly with athletes over time. Is that a fair statement? Yes, it is. So what do you what do you see as the difference between I mean, there's physical talent, of course, right? Like height, body mm -hmm. composition, like your, you know, how fast twitch your muscle. I mean, there's all of that. I mean, you know, some people are just physical mm -hmm. freaks, but what is from a mindset perspective, whether it's in athletics or some of the executive or 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 you know, kind of, re kind of regular working people, if you will, that you've worked with? 
what separates those that are performing at the highest level from those that are like maybe right there, but just can't seem to break through? Like, what is that? What is that thing that they have or that they develop or whatever that lets them get to the, the top of their game? Oh, it's confidence. Number one, always is the self-belief. And it's not the kind of confidence that you wear on your sleeve and that you post on your Facebook page. This is the kind of confidence that emanates from within, like the calm, you know it type of confidence, not the confidence you have to announce to people, but it's that level of confidence that separates the best performers from the people who have the ability, but they're not doing it on a consistent basis. And what I, I tell people all the time, once you get to the pro level of anything, especially in the sports world where all the work is evident and you can see everybody's job, everybody at work is everybody has the skill to be performing at you know, whatever the highest level is. Everybody has the ability. Uh, you can get your butt kicked any given night in professional sports by any team because everybody's talented. It's the mindset that leads to all the other hardworking things that you hear motivational speakers talk about, like working hard, showing up early, staying late, dedication, discipline, focus, going to bed on time, having a routine, following the training regimen. All of that is based on the mindset of the person. Are you really willing to do the work that will lead to those kind of results? Because when you're at the pro level, you're already getting paid. Everybody already knows you. You're known. You've made it further than everybody in your family and everybody from your neighborhood. Why keep working that hard? Uh, you don't have to, especially if you have a contract already. So it's the dedication that leads to the confidence. And I always tell people discipline leads to confidence. The most confident people are usually the most disciplined. The most disciplined are usually the most confident. But not everybody has that level of discipline, especially when you don't, you know, quote unquote, have to, because you already have some level of success, however you want to measure it. How do you build discipline? How do you create somebody? How do you create a discipline for yourself? Is it, does you have to be aligned with like, a sense of purpose? Like, what do you, what do you coach mm -hmm. on it? Or what have you seen? Like, how do you, how do you get into a place of, of creating the, cause I was going to ask you, how do you create confidence? But you explained that, like, you got to have discipline and that makes right. total sense. But how do you build mm -hmm. a discipline? Is there a system to this? Is it more of a mindset component? What say you, my friend? Uh, it was a combination of both. And it absolutely is a system, but let me tell you the things that don't work because there yeah. are a lot of people who want discipline when they hear the word. And I'm sure that people listening to this and they hear me say discipline, they're like, all right, how do I be disciplined? Well, let me tell you what you've been trying that does not work. And this is for the listeners. All right. First of all, do not try to force yourself to be disciplined. This doesn't work. Everyone who's listening to this, who's failed with discipline, you probably already tried this. Do not try to willpower yourself into being disciplined. That also does not work. Don't try to make yourself be disciplined. That's a combination of both. That does not work. The reason why these don't work is because usually when people say they want to be more disciplined, it's to do something that will produce a result that they want, but the process is doing a whole bunch of stuff that they don't want to do. So if you try to force yourself to do that, it can work in the short term, but it's not going to work in the long term. It's like if you hate going to the gym, you hate working out, you hate the smell of the sweat, you hate the trainer yelling at you, you hate boot camp class, you hate yoga because you're in the worst shape of everybody in the room. So you try to hide in the back. All right. There's only so long you're, you're going to keep showing up to that yoga class if you hate it. So what you need to find is what I call the anchor. And the anchor for discipline is what is the result or the outcome that you want that is stronger than maybe your aversion to the process. Mm -hmm. So a, a good example of this is let's say a woman is engaged. She's going to get married in six months. She wants to lose 30 pounds so she can fit into a certain dress, but she hates the gym. She hates working out. She hates sweating. She hates doing burpees, but now she's getting married. Now, the question we asked this woman, this engaged woman, miss, which one is stronger? 
your desire to lose 30 pounds before your wedding day or your hatred for the gym? If the answer is her hatred for the gym is stronger, then I can't help you. But if your answer is your desire for the gym is stronger, okay, now we can figure that out. Now we can come up with a strategy because your desire is stronger than the thing that you don't like, which means we can overcome it. You can go over top of the problem is what I like to call it. You have to figure out a way to go over top of your challenges because in life, everybody has, there's something you have to deal with no matter what you do in life. Whether you're a podcaster, entrepreneur, you get a job, you get married, you have kids, you live in Miami, you live in Michigan, there's something you're gonna have to deal with in that situation. The question is, which something do you want? Because there is no perfect outcome in life. There's some trade-off you're going to have to make. Which one are you willing to make in order to get your outcome? And that's where the anchor comes in. So where is your anchor strong enough to pull you through the challenge? And when you have that answer, then what we do is come up with a system, a strategy that you can follow so that you get discipline in place. Because the thing is, Jamie, you when you have a strategy in place and you have a routine and a process that strategy, routine, and process, that is the discipline. Those basically become the guardrails so that you don't have to think about what to do or where to go. I'll give you a, an analogy for it. Next time you walk past a, some train tracks, a tra it's hard for a train to go off the train tracks uh, because it's hard to steer the train off the tracks. The whole design of it is made so that when you push the gas or whatever it is that makes the train move forward, it stays on the tracks. It goes straight through the tracks. The tracks are basically the rails, the guardrails, literally, that keep the train going in this direction. Think of those guardrails or think of your discipline, your processing, your system as the rails and you're the train. Now, you have to try to go off those rails. As long as you push the gas, you're going to go straight through that path wherever those rails are leading. So when you have the right process in place, it's going to take you straight to where you want to go. But you have to decide where do you want to go? What is that outcome that you want to reach? And what rails are you willing to ride on in order to get there? Dude. Wow. OK. All right. Uh, let me go back to one thing you said, because I want to I want to I want to go there and then we'll come back to this because there's a whole there's a whole other thing we're going to unleash in this. But you talked right. about the the bride who wants to lose 30 pounds. Um, her mm -hmm. aversion for the gym is greater than, let's say, her uh, desire to lose the 30 pounds. Right. And like you said, right. it can't be helped in that situation. Mm. I, I come back to like uh, uh, life being about, you know, either avoiding pain or or seeking pleasure. Right. So. In that mm -hmm. moment, when somebody has a result that they want and they're like, but, but I do, I want to lose the 30 pounds. I want to not be at this weight and I want this wedding dress. I want all of that. Do, do, is it, is it, is there a way to help somebody or is there a way to unlock or is there a, pro I don't know, or is it just, it is what it is to help them find the pain point or the pleasure center, whatever it is, either running away from or running toward to figure out what it is that would be greater than their aversion for the gym. Does that make sense? Like, like, is there a way yes. to help them? Okay, you said you want to lose 30 pounds for the wedding. That's noble, but you don't want to go to the gym. So obviously the wedding's not enough. What is? Like, mm -hmm. is there a way to get to what is? Or is it just sort of like when somebody hits that point in their life, they'll hit it. There's no way to control or force that. Well, it can be a combination. Both of those can be true. But the answer is yes, there is a way to get to it. And that would, I mean, if you're a good trainer, it's probably going to sit down and have a conversation with this person and let's figure out you know, what is it that really caused you to hate the gym or what is it that really would cause you to want to lose that 30 pounds? How much does it really matter to you? And really get into the emotional thing because we all understand anybody who's in sales understands that emotions are much stronger than logic. And, and emotions will completely overpower logic even when the emotions make no rational sense whatsoever. They don't have to make sense in order to move somebody to action. So absolutely they can. 
And one thing that somebody could do is really just make, let's just make a small commitment with this person. So even if they still hate the gym more than they want to lose that 30 pounds, say to them, all right, let's just work out for three days. Let's just work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday this week. And let's see how you feel after Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If that's okay, let's go another two weeks. If that's okay, let's go another month. And maybe we can take baby steps and get there eventually get there to that point to where you're showing up to the gym instead of somebody having to pull you to it. So the answer is yes, it, you can get there. But as far as I know, in my background, just with you no know, copywriting and selling is that avoiding the pain is usually a much stronger pull than going towards the pleasure. Because most people know, you ask people, what do you want? You know, what do you want to achieve in life? Well, I want to make more money. I want to lose more weight. I want to be more disciplined. I want to have a six pack. I want to do this. I want to do that. Most people can rattle off all the things that they want. But they're, still not, they're not taking any action to do any of those things, even though they know them off the top of their heads. Now, you ask somebody what you don't want. Usually it's only a few things, but people are usually really accurate with what those things are. Now, if you can present them, you as the, the salesperson or the influencer, present them. All right, here's a process that will help you get rid of those pains, those things that you don't like. Then that often can move people to action more than a plan to get to the things that they do want. And why is this? You know, as, as a late, great Jim Rohn used to say, I wouldn't sign up for that class. You know, it's just, this is just how human beings are. We are more driven to avoid our pain than we are to get to our pleasures. Love that, man. I, it's a good point. You think about a book, like, oh, it's yeah. a 500 page book and you're looking at it like, God, I got to read that book, but just read five pages, right? right? And then read another five pages and read another, exactly. same. Like, just go to the gym today, see how you feel. And then uh, mm. tomorrow, but not the totality of 30 pounds, but like, a half a pound. Let's let's work on a half a pound and then see where we go from there. That's brilliant, man. I love that. And it just goes to that whole idea that like people want results. I do. I know there's things I want results in life for. And to your point, like you don't have to wait until the timing is right. It's not like, ah, it'll find me when it finds me. I mean, it's true. It will. Like we all have traumas or things that just make us take action. Like, like my aversion to that pain is way less now because I want that so badly. But I love that there's mm. tactic. That's a great way to, to break it down tactically to say, hey, take it in small chunks and you can start to overcome that aversion toward whatever's blocking you from reaching your result. The other thing right. that jumped up here as you were talking, and I've heard you talk about this and I love it, is, you know, the idea of, you know, going through the stuff and like faking it. So there's this there's this theory out there of, you know, fake it till you make it. Right. So you can could mm -hmm. you, you know, could you. Uh, uh, you know, fake loving the gym or fake, you know, the, 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 the desire to overcome that aversion. But like, just talk to me about yeah. that concept of what about those that are able to fake it till they make it? Man. So thing about fake it till you make it is I don't believe in it. I believe it's an oxymoron. I don't think it's actually a real thing because faking it till you make it, or people have to understand how the, the mind works and the subconscious mind takes everything literally. So when you tell yourself that you're faking it or that you're pretending to be someone who you know that you're not, and somebody gave you an idea 30 seconds ago, now you're going to pretend to be that after 30 years of conditioning. What happens is your, your subconscious mind understands it's kind of like the story of Cinderella. Everybody knows the story, right? The She puts on the glass slipper and she has this beautiful ball gown on, but at 12 o'clock midnight, all of a sudden, that beautiful ball gown turns back to the rags. And that's what happens when somebody's faking it till they make it. Eventually, your mind is going to tell you, OK, the faking is up. Let's go back to who we really are. And you don't want to be something. And then you have to go back to what you were before. What you rather have is a permanent change. So instead of faking it, what you actually want to do is become it. So whatever it is that you want to be, what I suggest to people for people to do if they don't have experience doing the thing is you can borrow the confidence of another person. So let's say we're talking to a basketball player. 
and you're about to go play in a big game. You've done all the practicing. I told you discipline creates confidence. So you've done all the practicing, but you haven't played in a big game before. So how do you get the confidence? So I would ask them, well, who's your favorite player? Jamie, who's your favorite player? Uh, I'm going to go Anthony Tolliver because I know him. Yeah, that's the guy. All right, Anthony Tolliver. Perfect. He's in the NBA. All right, so Anthony Tolliver. So I would say to the player, all right, I want you to think of your favorite player, Anthony Tolliver in this case. How would he walk into the gym? In this situation, how would he feel about himself? How would he look at himself in the mirror? What kind of energy would he have when he sees the other team across the court from him? When he sees all the fans that are either cheering for him or cheering against him? When the lights come on, you know, the crowd is going crazy because this is a big game. What kind of energy would he have? And I want you to assume his posture. I don't want you to pretend to be Anthony Tauber. Don't try to play like him. I want you to assume his posture, his internal posture, his calmness, his confidence, his energy. And then you channel that through who you are as a player. And then you go out there and you have your game, you do what you do. And with a good performance now, you don't have to borrow confidence from it anymore. You don't have to fake it till you make it anymore. All you have to do is look at your own history, your own background of doing it yourself. And now you can use yourself as, a, as an avatar for what kind of energy you need to have. You don't need to use anybody else. So that's how you get started in putting that confidence out there without having to fake it. How do you do that? Like, how long do you need to do that? I mean, is, I know that's a bit like overly formulaic, but like, is this like, hey, mm-hmm. if you can do this for a week, two weeks and, and well, let's start with that. Like, how long do you have to do that in order for you to truly become that and see evidence of your past? Like, you know, how far mm-hmm. into the, into this do you have to be before you're like, oh, holy crap. Like, I'm actually doing this. This is my, this is the new me now. Is there a, is there a time frame? I know this might, you know, just kind of curious. Yeah. That's a good question. And I think it's variable. I think it depends on who the person is. It's different for each person. To give you an example, I remember reading about Michael Jordan. He wrote in one of his books that when he made that big the championship winning shot in college and he made that big shot and he told his father that on the way to the gym, he kind of dozed off on the bus. And he had a little dream that he made a big shot and then he went and did it. And he told his dad about it. He said his father said to him, your life will never be the same again. And Michael Jordan coming back that following season at North Carolina he automatically went into it. He stepped right into that role and he never stepped out of it. And so for him, he only needed one experience and it was enough. But for other people, they might need to hear it over and over and over and over again before they before it finally clicks. And some people, you can keep telling them their, their whole career and it never clicks. So it depends on the person, how willing they are to take to it. And also what kind of conditioning uh, do they have to unlearn? Do they have any garbage in their mind we got to get rid of before we can put the new thing in? So usually the earlier, the better that you can get to somebody with this. It'll work. Wow. And what about like the day to day on this? So you make this decision, you're going to be something, you're going to, you're going to take the posture of somebody else. Like you were saying, um, you know, mm-hmm. walk into the gym or whatever, basketball and anything in life, like that executive, that person at work. What, how do you, is there anything that you do? Is it visualization? I don't know. Is there anything that you do or coach? Uh, on how to show up like that every day until you've sort of baked it in as a new being for you. Oh, absolutely. So uh, one of my books is actually about this. It's really just asking yourself who you need to be as a person. And this is a key question that most people never ask themselves. Most people understand the concept of goal setting. You know, the beginning of the year, everybody sets their goals. What do you want to do next? What do you want to have next year? And usually people understand the concept of work. You're not going to get something for nothing. You got to put some effort in. So what are you going to do? in order to reach those goals. But many people just, they get those two answers and then they just start working. All right, work hard, work hard, hustle, grind, team, no sleep, try to reach your goals. But many people never ask themselves the question of who do I need to be? So while you are doing the things and performing the tasks 
trying to reach your goals, what type of person do you need to be? And the, the key idea here is if people really thought about this, if everything that you are doing right now is going to lead to the goal, if, if you know you're following the right program, you read all the books, you took the courses, you hired a coach, you're following the program and it's still not producing the result. Maybe the issue is not that you have the wrong goals. The issue is not that you're doing the wrong things and there's not anything wrong with you as a person. The challenge is you're not approaching your work with the right energy, with the right posture. And when you change who you are being as a person, your energy and do the exact same thing that you did yesterday, all of a sudden you get a completely different set of outcomes, a completely different result. And if anyone who's listening to this really thinks about this, this happens to all of us all the time. Have you ever been trying to work on something and you're doing all this stuff and you feel like you're doing the right things, you're following the instructions, but you're not getting the outcome. And then you reach a breaking point where you get maybe really frustrated, you get upset, you get angry and you're like, I don't know what's going on here, but then something happens. And for some people, it's the anger just focuses them. Or for some other, somebody else, maybe they hear something inspirational that just gives them an, uh, gives them a spark to just go and try again. Something happens that clicks in your mind. Something clicks in your mind. You go do the same thing you were doing the last three weeks that didn't work. And all of a sudden you get a different result. Why? Because you approach the situation with a completely different energy. When your energy changes, that affects what you do. And when what you do is affected, then the results are affected. So that who you are being as a person is a really important question because that changes your posture. It changes your approach and it changes how people respond to you. That that unlocks for me a question about failure, because I love that point. I, I know exactly what you mean, man. That idea that like I've been doing all the things, doing all these things. And it's almost like cosmic right. or like woo woo in some ways. It's like, but my frequency right. changed. And the moment my frequency changed, like the level of attraction changed and what came to me changed. All of the things, all the outcomes changed, even though I'm doing the exact 100%. same thing or even more than that, yep. like I could be doing the same thing as that person, but that person has such a belief in what they're doing or they just come with a different energy. And so their results are 10x mm -hmm. what mine are. It's just as simple as that. But in that space, there's mm -hmm. there's the idea of, you know, you, you're failing, failure. How do you, right. how do you, how do you work? What is, well, let me start with this. What is your relationship with failure? How does it play in your life? How do you use it or how does it stop you? Kind of give me an idea from, for you, who's gone through all this mindset work, who's had this nine-year career, who willed himself in some ways to a nine-year career, who became the guy that's going to be a, a professional basketball player and that energy allowed you to be. What about failure? What is your relationship with that? How do you leverage it? Well, uh, first it's figuring out how you want to define failure because there's a lot of different ways to look at it. So let me ask you, Jamie, how do you define failure? I guess it's trying and not and not accomplishing what whatever it is you okay. said you wanted to do. Okay. Well, if that's how we're defining it, I've failed probably more times than many people have even tried, <laughs> succeeded, and failed all put together. Because I can't tell you how many times I emailed agents and didn't get a response. So how many right. teams I tried to reach out to directly and they weren't interested, or how many, even now as an entrepreneur, how many products I put out that didn't sell and I had to kill them off. Uh, I've tried a whole lot of things that failed. If I mean, if that's the way that we're measuring it and how many times I tried out for a team and didn't make it. So you, I've had plenty of those. It? How do you define it? I'm really curious to hear this because I agree like that. I don't know that I love my definition. So <laughs> how do you define it? <laughs> yeah, the way I would, I'm fine with that definition of failure and we call it that. It just depends on really how you look at it. But how I would define it is really to just stop trying. I, I say is the absence of trying and the absence of getting up and brushing yourself off and let's go at this again. 
All right. So I tried to launch this product. The product didn't sell. Okay. Maybe there's nothing wrong with the product. Maybe it's just the way I talked about it. Maybe it's who I marketed to. Maybe it's the pricing. Maybe it's no, no. What is the, the way that I set up the pricing, the payment plans or whatever it could be. It could be a lot of different ways of looking at it. But as long as I'm willing to keep going at it, then I won't look at it as a failure because there's another way to approach it. Because in basketball, I failed to make the team three times in high school. Most young men who go through that, they're not trying again. Right. And I just kept going, but I still became a pro athlete. But if you didn't know the rest of the story, you said, all right, here's a 17 year old tried three times and failed to make the team. What did he become in life? Nobody's going to guess professional athlete. Right. So that's so it's really just the way that you look at it. You can look at those things that we're calling a failure here. And can you look at it as a learning experience? You just got more information. So these days, you know, if I run some advertising and I spend more than I make on a product, I don't look at that as an advertising failure. I look at it as, all right, I just paid for a marketing lesson. All right, now I know what doesn't work. Let me look at, let me approach this a different way so I can get some more. Now I have more information. Let me approach this a different way and let me get another lesson. Maybe I'll, Maybe I'll lose money again the next time. Maybe I'll break even. Maybe I'll make money this time. So I just look at it as how can I take what I've learned, adjust myself and come back and do this again? And I think and actually Napoleon Hill said this in his book, one of my favorite books called The Law of Success, is that many people fail simply because they have a lack of persistence and they try something. It doesn't work and they don't come back and try again. Most people, when it comes to trying things and failing, how many times do they try before they quit? It's somewhere between zero and one, right? Because most people try one time and quit. And then actually not most people, a few people try one time and quit. Most people don't try at all. They just think themselves out of it and they quit before they even try. And then you have the few exceptions who try more than once. And those are the people who become the, the ones who get to tell their story at the end. When do you know when to stop then? I love that definition. Stop trying is failure. I completely get it. And like you said, there, there you, you go back. I, I've had this with a, a course that I sell. It's like, okay, this price seemed to sell. This price didn't. This way I showed mm-hmm. up was good. This way wasn't. Like, you know, you just tweak and reiterate and try this ad and do this differently right? or whatever. But when do you know when it's time to say, okay, <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. enough is enough. This is not working. It's not meant to be. Uh, it's not, sh- I'm not showing up the right way for a reason or the product is tainted or whatever it might be. When do you know to stop? Well, personally, on a on a a bigger ethereal level, I don't know when to stop. That's my problem, and that's that's the reason why (laughs) the reason why I've been able to do what I do. But to answer your question on a more rational level, uh, when to stop? What I call it is walking away in strength. And there's a difference between walking away in strength and quitting. And quitting is when you have just decided emotionally you're not willing to go through the challenge of adjusting and editing and let's look at this and iterating and let's look at this another way and let's figure out how to make it work. Walking away in strength is saying, I've done everything that I wanted to do or that I'm willing to do or that I could do in this space. And I'm going to rationally with my head held high, I'm going to walk away from this and I'm going to go to something else that I think may be a better opportunity for me. And there is a difference between the two. A lot of people in life just quit simply because they're not willing to deal with the tough stuff that comes with approaching this again and again and again. Walking away in strength is when you put all you wanted to or could or have are willing to put into something and then you say, okay, it's time for me to just move on from this because this is just not the right opportunity for me. I have this theory on failure and I, I'd be curious to get your perspective on it that failure is not what we fear, that we fear being mm. judged for that failure. So the root of it is fear of judgment. 
That's been a, a working mm-hmm. theory that I've had. Like, you know, if I were to be able to fail in the middle of a room where nobody could ever see it epically, doesn't matter, whatever it is. Like you said, nothing, I launch and nothing sells or whatever, but no one saw it and no one knew about it. That feels very different to me than if everyone could see it. Like, I feel like fear of judgment. I can speak personally, at least that's been an issue for me over my lifetime. Like, oh my God, how do, how do people perceive this? And I've worked hard to try to overcome that and still do. But what are your thoughts on that? Is that, is that, is that true? Do you think one, you know, is fear of judgment, the root of fear of failure? Um, well, let's start with that. Is that true? And, and give me your perspective on that. Yes, it is true. And the interesting thing though, is not the fear of judgment of other people. The biggest judgment that people are afraid of is the judgment of themselves. Mm. And, and one thing I tell people all the time is that other people are not thinking about you nearly as much as you think they are. They're usually thinking about themselves. We are all self-centered and narcissistic in that way and that we're thinking about ourselves and we think everything that other people do is about us, even when it affects us. Most of the time, it's not about us. We just happen to be there at that moment that they're doing whatever it is that they're doing. So that fear of failure, yes, is a fear of judgment. But what it is, is we're judging ourselves and then we're projecting our own self-judgment. We're projecting that thought onto other people and saying, oh, well, they're going to think this about me or they're going to say this about me when really they're not thinking about you at all. You're thinking about yourself and you think that everybody else is thinking about you, but they're really not. So I agree with you. It's just who that judgment is coming from that I'm uh, pointing up. That's interesting. And, and I want to ask you in a moment about like what you see, how much this shows up in clients that you work with across the spectrum, like fear of failure, fear of judgment. But this is something I learned about. Uh, I'm learning about peak performers like yourself, people who have achieved things mm-hmm. uh, that they've set out to. And I'm, I'm a little later in life in doing this, right? I kind of like, okay, I got to have a job and then I'll do all I can within that job. And only in the recent you know, year or two have I come to, come to the conclusion like, I don't want that. Like, that's not who I am. I'm, I, I, I relate to being an entrepreneur and I'm starting to unlock things. But for me, I've heard you and another, uh, uh, like a, like a hall of fame athlete say this, that that fear of self failure, fear of self, fear of self judgment, I should say is number one. I, I mm. honestly, and this is maybe me. I believe for me, it's been the opposite. Like I'm first fear what others will say and then fear my own judgment. And I think that's a distinction between a, a high performer, a peak performer like yourself. And those of us that are maybe coming into the idea of, wow, I can be a peak performer. So I don't know. I, I don't know if you want to react to that at all. But like, I, I wonder, like with people that you work with, do you ever find that that, you know, like they are so paralyzed and crippled by others judgments more even than their own judgment of themselves initially? Or are you seeing the exact opposite? I find that people, they're really judging themselves. But most people, until they really think deeply about it or unless I tell them what I just told you, yeah. they don't look at it that way. So they're really judging themselves, but they say, well, people might think these things or somebody might say these things. And I'm like, well, who are these people? Who are these people you're referring to? Uh, Who are these? Who are those they that you're referring to? And most of the time, nobody can ever identify who they are. They just use that as a, a nameless, famous, nameless, faceless group of people, what is really themselves. But instead of saying that, because most people are not not self aware enough about their own thoughts to really identify it, they say that it's others, but it's really themselves. Dude, that's brilliant because you're absolutely right. Like when I left my job as high paying executive level position, I had Sue in my brain. Like I haven't talked to Sue. Like I know the person, but I placed that face as the face of judgment of what I'm doing and what made me unsure of myself. That person never said a word, but it was me mm. uh, internalizing and then deflecting to somebody else. In this case, it was it was it was sort of nameless, faceless in the in the regard. Like I, for some reason, I placed a a, a a face I knew on it, but it was not somebody that's ever judged me, not even somebody I talked to in the last like 10 years, you know, but I came up with somebody Mm. 
as the face of judgment as opposed to owning that it's just self-judgment. And that's really good. That's brilliant. Right. I love that. Um, what about people that come in and work with you? Like how much does it boil down to this or is it something else? It's like when people are at a place where they want to work on their game and, you know, they're looking to kind of get to that next level. What's the typical, you know, like what do you typically see initially, especially when somebody's sort of at that place of, I can't break through, I want to get there. What are, what are sort of the common themes that you see? Well, the common things that people want from me is they want some form of accountability. They want someone who can, you know, make sure that they have their disciplines in place and they want a strategy for actually executing on those things. So those are the things that we're usually working on. And then underneath the umbrella of those come all the stuff that the surface level stuff that most people identify as their needs. So I want to make more money. I want to do better in my business. I want to be more confident. I want to achieve you know, anything that we can see, anything that's measurable. But it usually comes down to accountability, disciplines and strategy. When you when you were driving toward this professional career, like you said, not even playing until 14, cut three times, you know, uh, go to college, walk on. And then now you're playing, you know, uh, internationally and, and in the U.S. for nine years professionally. Where was it? Where, was that? Did you have accountability in place for your dreams at that point? Was it somebody, something or, or is that something that you've developed uh, uh, for yourself? Do you have self-accountability toward whatever you're trying to achieve? It was usually just me. I was just running off my own energy because I'm a very competitive person. You know, my parents instilled the discipline, but not for sports. My parents were not athletes, but they were about discipline and you know, go to school, you know, do your homework, all of that and do your chores at home, that kind of stuff. So when I started playing sports, I didn't have a coach. I didn't have any trainer. I didn't have anybody take me under their wing. And again, I wasn't referring to YouTube or Instagram because they didn't exist at that time. So I was just taking the discipline that I learned from my parents. And I applied that to the sports game. And then when I, I saw that it worked, when I got into entrepreneurship, I just applied the same thing. I just, all right, I'm going to post a video every day because nobody else is doing that. I think I can do it. And that's kind of how people came to know me because I was so consistent in what I was doing. And then I started to learn. It wasn't until later. It was only over the last you know, 10 years or so that I really started to learn uh, strategically, tactically, what exactly am I doing and how can I do this in a way that is duplicatable and then it got to the point where I could teach it to other people. Like what? Give me some examples. What do you mean like you only really learned the last year about strategically and tactically? What are some of those things that you, you've learned that you're now teaching? Yeah. So in the business world, for example, I remember when I first started selling my own products, I would you know, make my little web pages and write out what people get to persuade them to buy. I didn't know there was such thing as copywriting. I didn't know that existed. But when I remember I was talking to someone who was a, a business colleague of mine and she said, Dre, you're really good at writing copy. I didn't know what that meant. And it was, she started talking about it because I've always been, I've always been good with words. I've always been a writer, you know? So I started writing when I was, I started blogging before I even started on YouTube. So that was the first thing I was doing on the internet was blogging. So I always been a person who likes to kind of explain what was happening. When I was playing overseas, I would write blog posts about what was happening in the places that I was playing and my friends and family back home would read my posts on Facebook and they loved it because I could be very descriptive and telling the stories of what happened because I knew they weren't there, but I could make them feel like they were there with the way that I was writing. So that's one, like copywriting. Another thing when it comes to just marketing, how are you actually selling something? What what emotions are you triggering in people when you want to move them to action? Other things like you know, getting somebody's attention, like how we connected to even be on this show right now. There are certain things that I've always done. You know, they call it doing things that don't scale. I've always been that type of person who does things that don't scale when it comes to business, meaning things that 
you can't mass produce, but I know they will produce a higher return on investment. So I'm willing to do them such as reading every single comment that I get and responding to people like reading. I go through my you no know, text messages every day and I actually respond to people's text messages. I respond to people's DMs. I will have conversations with somebody, even if I'm not sure they can buy anything from me that I'm selling. I'm willing to do those things and they don't scale. You cannot mass produce them. I can't hire somebody else to do them for me. I mean, I could, but I don't. I do it myself. And those are kind of things that as I've learned more about business, I've learned that these are things that work, but I didn't even know that I was you know, doing, I wasn't doing it strategically. I was just doing it because that's just the way that I saw things. Like this is a way that I can give myself a leg up on other people. I see what everybody else is doing. Let me see if I can zig when everybody else is zagging in this particular space. And that's how I can get myself a little bit of an advantage. You know, it's funny, you, you, a lot of the principles you talk about, I think about us being here today on this, on this episode. So you had mm -hmm. sent, you would send an email, uh, we'd communicate through email and you'd send an email like, Hey, being about being on the show, but then you sent a video, yep. which was really cool. I remember that this is like a year ago before we, when we were the go abundance podcast, then we went through the rebrand, right. things got busy or whatever and easy, like it happens. Like, this, the, 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 the idea of bringing somebody on, it just sort of falls off. But then recently your assistant sent uh, an updated video of you saying, yeah. Hey, it's like, made a new talk one. about that persistence. Don't <laughs> yeah. know when to quit. Right. All of that stuff came right. through, but dude, I'm, I, it was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I remember this story. I remember this guy. I remember looking back and researching you back then and saying, yeah, I want to get this guy mm -hmm. on. And then just, you know, life happened or whatever, but your persistence gets you here. And I, I just, I appreciate that so much, man. I think it's incredible. The other thing I want to talk about is uh, as like, as a last topic before I, before I let you go here is the, is the concept of all of these things that you do, these disciplines that you build. I talk a lot about this, this point of purpose. Like, you know, I think you have to have a rooting in that in order to have, in order to have the action, the, you know, like that being versus doing you were talking about. How do you define your purpose? How would you have a statement, a thing that you say or a few words that you use? Like, how, what is your purpose? How do you define that? Man, that's a really good question. I don't know if I can boil it down into one statement other than uh, work on your game. That'd be, yeah, I'd yeah, be yeah. cheating to say that. But, uh, <laughs> as far as, <laughs> as far as overall every day, though, this is something that I, I write in one of my books, the mental workbook is about writing out your personal statement. And that is all the things that you want to have in your life, all the things you're willing to do to get it and who you need to be as a person. I encourage everybody to have that in every single day. You say that to yourself out loud at the beginning of the day and at the end of your day. And I've been doing that every day for probably over a decade. And that is something that I think is really important because I think it was Zig Ziglar, the first person I ever heard say it, is that what you say to yourself is 100 times more valuable than what anybody else says to you, no matter who it is. So that self-conversation is the most important conversation. So I have that statement that I say to myself every single day. It's the first thing I say every day. So to answer your question, yes, I do have one. It's kind of long and I, I never told anybody what it is, but I do have Got it. it. Yeah, I was going to say, are, are yes. we able to share it? No, that's fine. I get it. It's a, it's private. It's for you. It's to you. It's a personal thing. <laughs> Correct. I completely get that. I love that, yes. man. Man, this is so good. There's so many great nuggets in here. So many great takeaways. Tell me a little bit more about work on your game and how people can can find you and the work that you're doing. Sure. So uh, work on your game. I'm on, I'm on every platform, uh, <laughs> constantly publishing. I'm publishing everywhere. Only place I'm not on that's, I guess, out there right now is TikTok. That's the only thing I don't do, but I'm probably most active on uh, Instagram. You know, I have a, a text community so people can text me. I send out a daily motivation text every day. I got a bunch of books. Uh, I give people a free copy of my newest book if they just cover the shipping. Can I share that? Yeah, of course. Go for it, man. Yeah. Okay, great. Are we on video? Is this going to be we on are. video? Yep. All right. So this is my newest book. It's called The Third Day. The decision that separates the pros from the amateurs. 
this is all about uh, Jamie, what you asked me about earlier when it comes to the the structure and the process and the systems for being disciplined, how you can have those guardrails in place. That's what this book is about, because, listen, everybody wants to be disciplined in the things that we know discipline will help us in. But the challenge is people are either trying to do it the wrong way, like forcing yourself or trying to use willpower it doesn't work for not an extended period of time. This book is about how to be disciplined in a way that actually works, where you're not forcing it. You're not beating yourself up. You're not making yourself do stuff that you don't like to do. This is a way that you put a system in place and a process that you actually are willing to follow to get the results that you want. And that's why it's called the decision that separates the pros from the amateurs, because discipline is a choice. But a lot of people can't make the choice simply because they have incorrect formulas. This book will give you the correct formulas for discipline. And I'll give you a free copy of the book, paperback version. Just cover the shipping by going to thirddaybook.com. That's all spelled out. Thirddaybook.com. The book is free. Just cover the shipping. Drop that in the show notes for sure. And uh, yeah, I'll be going to that website right. in just a few minutes here. So I appreciate that, man. That's a great offer. Oh, Amazing, dude. Um, man, I appreciate you being on. This was incredible. Just, I mean, you've obviously done so much work in this space and, you know, the results of your life are, are evidence of what's possible. And I love that you're out there inspiring and motivating people uh, to get to where they want to be, man. So I truly appreciate oh, you being you. here and uh, it's great getting to know you. Absolutely, man. I'm glad we were able to you know, make this happen. I'm glad my video got your attention. So I appreciate you uh, sharing your platform and for the opportunity. Thank Absolutely. you. All right. We'll see you soon. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 